The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alrighty. It's that time again. We're back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in lovely downtown Concord, California. We've got Bevo in the house tonight. Hey, Bevo. <laughs> Hi, Bevo. Yeah, she has to... I didn't have my headphones on, oh, sorry. I'm shocked. She had to fetch her mic from the shocked trunk of her car. Shocked to discover that there is gambling in this establishment. Shut up. <laughs> Good reference, though. Good old reference. No? Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't get it. <laughs> uh, Scott's here, too. Hey, Scott. Hey, what's happening? Excited to get uh, this beer. Topher Bame and Luke Hippa <laughs> in the studio. How that how was out of ten. Rate that pronunciation. That's a night. He, he said out of ten. You did hear that, right? Not a hundred. That, okay. that it sounded like nine. <laughs> it. Uh, and they're from Wildflower Brewing and Blending uh, in Sydney, Australia. I'm surprised you didn't bring Rob in here so he could communicate with them in their native tongue. No, no, no. I Rob. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, like, you know, the the uh, his Jay staff guested on the last couple episodes of the show, or two, or, or two shows ago. I don't know if you happened to hear Rob, who was doing his Aussie, his best Aussie accent, maybe the last guest appearance ago. I don't know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And now every time Rob talks, I can't help. I think he's doing an Aussie <laughs> accent. Like, are you doing the accent again? He's like nine. I'm like, yeah, you are. No, you're doing it. <laughs> Emails with feedback, <laughs> especially with uh, angry emails from Australia. Uh, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. That's just who to send those to. Loving emails from Australia. One of my favorite <laughs> countries and continents in the entire world. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. I think it's just al Watch us on uh, thebrewingnetwork.com slash uh, TV. Let's find out if uh, Chris can see it now that we're... Uh, up and running. He said he's watching. Yes. So, okay. Um, Good. I'll wait for uh, very mean comments that's yeah. coming in by text. Cool. Hey, mate. At any time. Uh, yeah, you can also listen live. The Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile on your search bars. Subscribe and leave feedback. Review of the week. <laughs> this is from Roloff J. He says, great show, very informative, fun guests, need to get Levi on from Funk Factory. Mm. All right, word to the wise. And then he says, no need for RB staff shows. Those are beyond painful to listen (laughs) to for more than five minutes. I use the golden sour recipe for my mixed culture beers. Thank you for sharing. So a very rangy review from (laughs) Rolhoff Jay. Thank you. I feel validated by that. Good job on the recipe, Jay. He loves your golden sour. What are you doing? He loves Funk factory and he hates your crew so that's a five-star view from rollhoff thanks rollhoff we appreciate it a lot no comment <laughs> uh 
Speaking of things we appreciate a lot, we very much appreciate Wildflower for being in studio. They flew all the way from Australia just for this. They're going to fly right back tonight. <laughs> Great, it's a great honor to have them. It is an honor. Uh, no, no, I actually it's a big honor to be here. Yeah. On that note, um, it's not usually something I say to guests because it's going to come off a little rude. But why are you guys here? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I won't lie. I mean, the invitation to come and be on on the show um, was yeah, a big, big component of that. At this time, though, in, in like the, the uh, we're here for a festival um, that are happening down in Southern California, put on by um, Firestone Walker Brewery, just a small local brewery mm-hmm. somewhere here in California. Yep. Um, and 805 area code. Yes, yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> um, they have uh, last year and this year will be the second year put pulled together this group of brewers um, from around the world who are utilizing wine grapes in, in their beer. And the festival um, specifically highlights a sort of a special recipe um, and process that they'd like everyone to follow um, in making a beer that, that I guess that they call the, the, the festival's called the Terroir Project Festival. And the focus of the beer is to uh, ferment wort with only the um, native yeast and whatever else might be on the skins of the grapes when they come in to um, the brewery. So um, we're, we're here for that, and we made a beer for, for that occasion. We'll be pouring it um, on Saturday. Excellent. And just so happens we have two wine grape beers open in front of us right now Perfect. that's called hosting scott see that long setup i'm uh, feverishly scribbling notes on how mm-hmm. to do it better because yeah, that was an incredible that's example where your mic set. button is there if yeah you want to turn i failed it on. to press yeah. it yeah yeah <laughs> i took in a cue from you you pressed yours like a pro yeah because mm-hmm. i press my own buttons that's right no, that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um so we got two we've got a side by side here um they look different so how are they different luke uh, one, one utilizes Semillon, so a, a white grape, um, which we source from uh, quite a famous winery in, in New South Wales, which was Tyrrell's. And the second is a black musket, so more commonly used as a table grape. Um, but that came from a, a Thornbrook orchard out in Orange, where we sourced a lot of other fruit for our fruit beers. Okay. And, you know, I'm sure you have a good sense of the different uh, grape-growing regions in uh, Australia. What are, for those who haven't been or would like to go, you know, what what are the strong regions, what are the strong varietals that are um, kind of around you guys down yeah. there? Yeah, so the Hunter is, is again, it's, it's world-class semillon. It, it's quite a dry climate. Um, so, the, so typically the, the semillon itself, high acidity, Typically gets um, laid down in bottle for, for five to ten years before, I guess the style really hits its straps. But in, in, in saying that, the younger the younger versions are really beautiful. Lots of citrus, really clean acidity, and and, and for us that that felt like it could have been a really wonderful marriage with with the yeast characteristics that we get. But at the same time, a little unsure. Citrus on citrus, acid on acid. Yeah, maybe maybe that wouldn't work. But um, we've been really really pleasantly surprised with with the results awesome and uh, you know i think that's a good point with the the citrus on citrus acid on acid what to you makes an attractive grape varietal for this type of beer if you can kind of like you know build your ideal white build build your ideal red to like overly simplify things what is a good match and then how does that jive with the reality and the locality of what you have available 
But the, the Semillon, for example, that, that that's that's probably our a beer that we've been most happy with in sense we we love it so much because we can see the wine aspect of the beer, uh, but also the beer characteristics um, and, and the way they interplay with each other is is really beautiful. So it's not like any one is is, is dominating at any one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the beer sits in the glass, you you'll see a little bit more honeyed or pear skin coming from the from the fruit. Other times it'll be that strong sort of Maya lemon or lemon meringue coming coming from the beer. So I don't think it's necessarily important to have beautiful aromatics or really really strong fruit character coming from the grapes. I think if you can get your ripeness in, in a lovely spot mm-hmm. uh, where it's just obviously not going to be too boozy, but again it's not going to be too tart or, or the flavours have ripened, then that probably is, is probably what we feel is probably more of a, an indicator. It's fantastic. Like the black musket is... The aromatics are amazing. They're really lifted. It's perfumed. It's sort of Turkish delight. That that is indigenous to that to that grape. Um, so naturally, having that come through in the beer is wonderful. But that certainly wasn't the be all and end all of the reason we wanted to work with that fruit. So I, I think if the, the beer and, and and the fruit in some way in your mind can feel like that will marriage, then it's certainly worth an attempt. We'd love to play with Gamay. We have played with Gamay. We talk about Shiraz a lot, another really common um, and easily accessible and really well-grown yeah. fruit. But uh, until we use it and put it together, you sort of – it's a pretty big unknown. Yeah. Um, and then in saying that, that's I think that's probably the most surprising thing about the Semillon. That wasn't one that – there's nothing about the Semillon fruit itself which is particularly mind-blowing. So I think that's probably been the biggest surprise since using it. So that's interesting. You – it's more than so. So the flavor profile, the aromatics need to work in your mind first, right? To, that's the kind there of needs the to be something step. there, yeah. But then the ripeness factor is something you play with. Is there is there a ripeness that is more ideal for the beer than there is for the winemaker that you would uh, prefer, or how does that work? Yeah, but again, looking at those two beers in case we we the Semillon was we pushed it a little bit further than what you would have. If, you, if you're harvesting for for wine, and I think with the musket itself, we could have again we could have looked for a little bit more ripeness with that. So there the, are the, the different regions and, and different yeah, times, yeah. and yeah, but but then also on the varietal, there's different reasons to do that. Yes. I think just kind of directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like both were trailing behind the ideal ripeness for the winemaker in this case, but it kind of just is very dependent on uh, what you're looking for, but probably also working with. Of the vineyards as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, the, the winemaker there, Chris Tyrrell, he was he was doing a lot of analysis for us, um, and we, we had a had a sugar level in in mind, um, and so, acid, and yeah. pH. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when that that when those things came together, that was it. We pulled the trigger and we we went out and harvested. Um, we probably had a little less control with the the black musket, but in in saying that, like um, we're really happy with the result. But I think. If we were to use that fruit again next year, we'd certainly, like I said, look to push a little bit more ripeness just to give that that a little bit more body, so a little bit more of the wine character coming through on the palate, mm-hmm. not just all about the the aromatics of the of the fruit. I mean, I, I guess one of the reasons you would you would be kind of um, as a winemaker, you would be trying to look at this axis, especially if you're doing a no ads winemaking, or you know, you're not going to be adding any acid to your wine later. The axis that you're looking for is the right level right level of ripeness, so you're going to get your right. Um, uh, alcohol level in 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 your finished wine, as well as not losing too much acid in that in that ripening stage. So, as generally and and um, depending on your region, and depending on how cool it is that at night that that harvest, um, 
acid will will on a large scale and not if I'm correct decrease as ripeness increases yeah okay so um i was just checking that with luke because i've never made wine um but silently he was, signaled he was looking at me and i said yes oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> jay, jay was definitely nodding in accord we found that because our beer has the acid the the ripeness of the fruit can still carry like we can allow that to get a little bit further along mm-hmm. while still maintaining some of the integrity of the finished product. We're not so worried about um, losing uh, organic acid to ripeness because we're, we have that in the in the base beer. Um, that being said, so the first time we used uh, wine grape beers um, was in 2017. And th- this beer is called St. Florence. It's named after my daughter. I mean, be, be, being a family brewery, we didn't want to go. Uh, well, be, well, we are a family brewery. We're owned entirely by, by me and Chris. And each of the fruit beers is named after our kids. Mm-hmm. And that way we don't go crazy on, on, on either on either side. Um, <laughs> that being said, Chris just had his fourth, and I'm about to have my second pretty soon. So this year we had four beers made with, with any kind of fruit, and next year we'll increase that to six. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you, yeah. Sure. But Florence... Uh, They're all still alive, daughter. too, just yeah. despite being saints. <laughs> You know, yeah, of course. Yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, we hope that maybe sometime in their lifetime they will exemplify some saintly uh, yeah. characteristics. But Why not? most of them are very young. Well, and, hopefully and they'll just move pretty... out at eighteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, let's keep our expectations reasonable. Um, this we made this beer the first uh, when when my daughter was born, so twenty seventeen, and the fruit that we used um, in seventeen was again from a cool climate growing region in Orange, near where this black musket comes from. It's a very different climate than the Semyon um, beer now, um, but it came from a vineyard, and we essentially got the fruit uh, after they were done picking. They kind of they were like, oh yeah, we didn't end up using our Semyon or sorry our Semyon Blanc this year. Go out those rows, so the fruit was really overripe, and I was. A bit worried about that, but also probably didn't know that much what I was doing at that time. And it comes through still now in the beer when we open this beer, and it's been bottled for two and a half years now. Um, how does, how does it get, present? Yeah, you still get a lot of juiciness from mm. from that younger fruit. In a good way? Yeah, beautiful. Um, it's really funky as well. I mean, a lot of fruit beers extend a period of time has a lot of um, funk. But the overripe fruit seemed to have worked, and this was before Luke uh, joined us at the brewery. We had made this beer, and so we continued talking about fruit ripeness because of that. So the next year, in 18, we worked with um, Pinot from this same vineyard as the Sav, um, but we worked uh, on a very small plot with really underripe fruit. I think it was like 10... Ten or nine or ten Beaumet, like really, sort of. We picked it early. That the, the vineyard actually, well, long story, but the vineyard actually had a bushfire happening nearby, and so a lot of their fruit got tainted, so smoke taint. Um, so they didn't end up picking, and they were sent. They pick. They picked some of the stuff early to send off for testing, and then they had all these bunches, and they said, "Do, do, do you want to use these?" And we said, "Absolutely," because we wanted to see what underripe fruit would would lend to the beer. So we did a, a process. Um, that we always do a three-week carbonic maceration just on the on the whole bunch fruit before we added any beer, and then we added some some gold uh, our base beer after after three weeks, and we made that beer. And then concurrently, we allowed um, a different clone, but also Pinot from the same vineyard to ripen um, to a, a really good spot. I think that was probably our, our that fruit we ended up making a bit of wine with as well at the yeah, brewery. So um, you would have picked it for for, for, for table wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that twelve and a half. Twelve three Beaumet. Yeah, we don't know what that is. Nothing to anybody. Yeah, Sorry. But, anyway, yeah. Um, but it was it, it was at that kind of correct axis of, of ripeness and, and acid to, to, to make a wine with, and we made uh, our St. Florence beer last year with Pinot Noir and made it in the ex- exact same process 
as we had with the same fruit from the same vi- same varietal from the same vineyard as an underripe beer, and, and the results are co- completely different. Color one, um, the 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 uh, less ripe beer is has hues of, of pink, um, but but the the Saint Florence Pinot Noir eighteen um, is, is is you know purple like a crimson red is beautiful um, color across the palette. I mean the you get more um, I find a bit more um, structure in the eighteen uh, Pinot and a bit more juice in the uh wb pinot the, the, the whole one the, sorry the um the less ripe one but very very different i mean the, the the less ripe one certainly wasn't something that we wouldn't do again it wasn't like oh this this is we're not coaxing the amount of varietal influence that we want out of that um and we are with the ripe ones i think just with with the uh, with ripe ones we found with the more ripe ones we found that they um, possibly are giving more of a fleshy character, so less of that linear kind of. Sometimes with the younger stuff, it's it's kind of a unidimensional fruit character. Whereas when we let things get a little bit riper, and, and because our beers, these ones specifically spend an extended amount of time macerating on skins, and we go through the effort of harvesting it by hand and and choosing out you know n- nice beautiful bunches. The riper fruit, we get more texture. I, I would say just on an absolute whole. Um, uh, more texture and there's a bit more savory characteristics in there as well as all of the, all of the fruit from the varietal influence. So between the initial concept of choosing the varietal, let's say that's step one, to you know kind of choosing when, cho- choosing the profile of the the sugar and the acid, let's say that's step two, and then three is when you get the grapes in house. What you decide to do? How do you decide to introduce that to the beer? Could you walk through kind of which of those levers are the biggest kind of flavor inducers? I know there's a lot, you know, they kind of all, um, it's very dependent on, uh, you know, which varietals you're talking about and regions and stuff like that. But what have you seen as the biggest effector of the flavor impact on these beers that you guys are making? I think the biggest factor is certainly the varietal. I mean, whatever, whatever we do downstream, you know, um, we, we we can't make a Sav Blanc beer taste like one that's made with Shiraz. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so the, the, the overarching character will, will be that. Um, the, the beer that we blend for these beers, uh, like the beer that we end up choosing to macerate and re-ferment on them, are generally pretty neutral. We, we're not trying to matchy-matchy in terms of flavors. We, we want the fruit to really be the highlight of that, but we want to maintain its non-jamminess, let's say. Like, we don't, like... We, we don't want to force that to to a level where it's it's um, too intense. We want to keep the beer flavored beer, right? And that, that's why we were talking about the Semillon as being a really um, beautiful marriage. The thing that we work on a lot, and what I feel is very important for uh, expressing the varietal, um, is how that fruit's handled when it does come to the brewery. So, step one for us is is, is sourcing the fruit, and we've we've only worked with um, vineyards like that at this stage that we know we have direct contact with uh the people that are harvesting and um or or we're going to we've always uh, we have we've, we haven't picked one of the fruits that um ourselves like one of the grapes and that we've used in this so we have uh our level of control over where it's coming from the source and the time of that e- even if we're not going to be like the ones physically picking. picked yeah you're physically going and driving out okay. there harvest is a really busy time for us it starts 
December and goes until May, basically, mm-hmm. um, end of December, because I like to receive the fruit whole, fresh. This is a really important part, I think, of our beer, whole, fresh, and directly from the vineyard or orchard that we're getting it from, drive it back to Sydney, um, whether that's you know an hour and a half or, or sometimes a three-hour drive, and then uh, get it into beers as, as soon as we can. Um, I think with the with the wine grape beers that that's that's important to um, to be able to start the handling process that we want. So we, we hand harvest and and that was sort of uh, we go in and pick the whole bunches ourselves and that way the fruit can stay whole um, before we receive it. So instead of it, machine harvested fruit can be a bit macerated and um, possibly already broken, but like specifically for for, for wine grapes before they come into the brewery. And we adopted, I think, in 2017 and have done this with all of our wine grape beers um, that we've released so far, a sort of same method, um, a Beaujolais style, a Beaujolais winemaking technique called carbonic maceration, um, whereby we bring in the fruit, whole bunch, put it into a stainless steel vessel, a sealed stainless steel vessel, and then we um, inject a small amount of CO2 uh, into the bottom of that vessel leave an airlock on the vessel but but otherwise seal it up to uh, ingress of oxygen and over time the uh, the yeast um, that's resident on the skins of the berries will will um, transfer through the skins and start fermentation of the wine grapes inside the berries themselves whoa so the co2 inside the berry might explode the berry and when that happens you know the juice might fall to the bottom of uh, the fermentation um, I'll let Luke talk to the characteristics of why why you would do the flavors of carbonic maceration but physically in terms of how it's done we um, put in the CO2 the wine fermentation starts native like on its own native yeast on its natural yeast and again that's something I think is quite important to, to allow the Saccharomyces that's on those skins that's most adapt to fermenting those kinds of ye- those kinds of sugars fructose to be the ones to start that fermentation you know we want this co-fermentation of finally when we do add the beer um, I want that Saccharomyces that, that knows how to ferment fructose the the, the, the the sugar in wine grapes I want that to be present and active so we're, get, we're letting that start we, we allow that process to go for three weeks this is before we even see um Beer and I think for all of our beers, it's always been three weeks. About yeah, three week carbonic maceration, and then any of juice at the bottom of that fermentation uh, at the end of that three weeks. So from exploding berries, we'll, we'll, we'll drain that off, um, and we might keep that as you know wine for ourselves, or maybe make vinegar at home or whatever. We're, we're quite lucky in Australia to be able to make wine and cider and beer in the same in the same space. And uh, so we'll, we'll drain that off because for me, that's just additional sugar that would be adding huge, like more alcohol to the beer that maybe we don't need. So we drain the this fermenting wine at the bottom, but the fermentation's not finished and there's still plenty of sugar in those in those grape skins and in, in the berries that haven't burst. So then we blend our aged beer. We'll, we'll, we'll select a certain number of barrels, maybe three or four barrels of gold, um, all of our wine grape fermentations have been with our golden beer, and then the two will macerate for a minimum of three months. Um, the the Semillon beer was four and a half on skin, so that whole time the, f- the beer is in contact with the skins and the whole bunches and the the stems as well. Um, we don't destem the fruit. Uh, basically, like I said, I like to streamline <laughs> things. I'm a lazy brewer, um, but also if if we can source sort of the best fruit, uh, we shouldn't have to handle it very heavily. And I think that's probably the best expression of the vineyard of the orchard that we're getting it from 
but flavors of Cab Mac, you'd have to talk to uh, to Luke. But yeah, sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of the the fermentation happening within the berry without, but like you know, it's penetrated the skin, so mm-hmm. the berry looks whole, but there's a fermentation happening inside the berry. There's, I'm assuming, there's no way for that fermentation to happen without it eventually bursting through the skin, right? I'm imagining like biting into what appears to be a whole mm. berry, and then like, oh my god, there's wine inside. It's a wonderfully fizzy. Does that happen? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's Have you ever amazing. left like a half-empty bottle of fresh juice in your car? Uh, or something like that? And then it just starts <laughs> exposed. going the like this? Expanding? And oh. it's like, kaboom. No, I, I usually, <laughs> yeah. my, my car is less the, elegant than the, what we're talking about The pig style but... that yours is. You know, I generally tend to clean well, my garbage for, out of it. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> Jay's like, you, you ever spill milk under your passenger seat and then it's like, smells so bad you can't drive your car? I'm like, no. I don't know. I don't know that. Shockingly close to the truth, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, transitioning off terrible flavors of my car. <laughs> what? what what is the flavor impact of this process? So predominantly, you get a much so in, in where it's done most commonly in Beaujolais, they're, they're working with with Gamay as their their varietal. Um, so across the board, though, you get a much brighter, uh, juicier aromatic. Uh, so that really really pops out of the glass, and it certainly helps reduce the, the the tannin perception on the palate. So that berry's fermenting in itself it hasn't been broken you're not releasing the the phenolics and the tannin from the skin into that fermenting juice so again that stays a little suppler and, and a little less aggressive across the palate so mm-hmm. again that in itself works really beautifully with the beer where you're not detracting from the essence of the beer by imparting overly strong tannin structure it's there but it, but it's it's a much gentler form because gamay if you were to to bring in um, and say, you know, do like a 30 or 40% whole bunch ferment, but then de-stem and crush the rest of it would be a pretty ballsy wine. It'd be a big wine. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very common in Pinot as well. And you get a really lovely sort of cherry liqueur character from, from those, those whole bunch, those carbonic fermentations. Well, these these beers are very good. Terrific. And appreciate you guys bringing these. One thing I wanted to just throw out there, and then maybe it's break time. You know, Topher, you mentioned that you guys are able to make uh, wine and cider in the same uh, facility, same license, I guess. Mm-hmm. One thing I've always wondered about this process as, you know, American breweries, uh, you know, <clears throat> how, how legal – and this is not a question. I'm just kind of throwing this out to the intertubes out there. Uh, <laughs> how legal is it as an American brewery to – without a wine license to do this? Not. You're, you're essentially making – Wine. Now, does oh, it, you does mean it, the carbonic mass? Yeah. Process. Does it become right. wine? No. Does it? Is it sold as wine? No, absolutely not. But you know, uh, there's just something Question I would. Mark. I would. I'm not. I'm not looking for an answer. This is cor- more of like a cautionary tale to those mm-hmm. out there. Like you guys all know the TTB. You know your state regulations. Question There's no need to put this on the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, I mean... Statement it, of uh, process. It, it can't know? be more no, than 50-50 or something. Is that right? Yeah, it's got to be 49 That's the limit. Yeah. Or 49.9. So will they come audit you during the process if you were... Like, is, does it, is, is, is it the released product or the process right. that, they, that they would get angry about? They would say, you know, I, I don't think they're, they're going to come audit anyone during the process. And you really can't after the fact, I think. Statute so, of limitations, man. But, you know, you do, like, 
sign the process under penalty of perjury and I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not sure this technique is technically legal in the US, so Air quotes. Don't do right. it, everyone out all there. All regulatory infraction uh, problems. You guys all know what I'm, you guys all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. All right, let's take a break. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we'll be back with more illicit activity on the Sour Hour. Hey, this is Andrew from Modern Times. And oh, let me start over. Do I say one, two, three? Hi, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. Uh, I'm on the Sour Hour. Please. <laughs> hey, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. You're listening to the Sour Hour, where skin contact isn't just a frame of mind. On the okay, one more time. Hey, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network, and we care about hops too. How did how long does it take you guys to edit this shit? Uh, that's what you guys have to live up to when we do the when we do the liners after the show. The bar is high. Andrew or low, like <laughs> Andrew from Modern Times. That was the best one. The skin contact is like that's uh, relevant. It makes skin yeah, con- very contact regular. So raunchy. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. It's Good sour time. hour. None of us are wearing clothes. Yeah, as yeah. you can tell, it's uh, <laughs> show number two. You can just picture Bevo's. I roll right now. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well just she's, get like a couch. She's laughing at a YouTube video she's watching, not us. Yeah. yeah. Halfway to a nap, just like the most slouched in a chair I've ever seen. <laughs> she's struggling to you get back up. Put your feet up on the desk, baby. <laughs> I am trying to recline. It's not working well for oh. me. <laughs> hey, take a. Where'd this chair go? The squeaky one was reclining like crazy in here. You no, that one's not comfortable. Oh. oh. Okay. Yeah, I have, no I have a particular chair that I like, but I need a better footrest. Yeah, take, Andrew left, right? Take it up with HR. <laughs> <laughs> all right are we on the air yeah i don't know all right three two one yeah <laughs> that was a real laugh for you oh, oh. wow genuine oh, that's two i think that's my record for the whole run of the show or this yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> i had one before going into today <laughs> all right we're back with uh wildflower did we get another beer in the oh let me go grab it no i'll go grab it all right you did oh yeah. well i was gonna ask you for something else but what you want well, I was going to ask if we have any questions for later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let me get the beer. Do the beer. I, have, and then, I don't care about questions. So I, I have questions. Well, no, I need, I need to... Yeah, I have a question. I need to pay yeah. pay some sponsors, so... All right. I always get nervous when Scott leaves, but... Uh, I do have some questions uh, for you guys. Let's see. I, th- I think... Are we already on to the, hop, uh, the hoppy beer? This is it, this? yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so this is not maybe... Well, maybe it's somewhat relevant, but we were talking uh, off air a little bit about how you guys, you know, you're getting more, you're trying to get as local as possible, you know, beer with a sense of place. And uh, we we're talking about hops. Mm-hmm. Now, you said maybe going forward, things are going to change from how things have been for you guys. So maybe give me an mm-hmm. overview of how, they are. how things have been and what, what the state of hops in uh, New South Wales will be. Oh, can I get to hops? And we talk about a couple other things quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, in making beer, the the and with the origin story of the brewery, the idea was, like I said, I guess at the start of the first episode, to, to make beer from a place. And the ingredient that influenced our process the most was that yeast. 
And the yeast culture is a combination of a Saison DuPont strain that we pitched at the beginning. Um, and then all of the wild yeast is captures from native uh, flora in and around New South Wales. So I spent about a year uh, going around and putting flower blossoms into unfermented wort. Um, and if that's a process that's you're interested in, there's, there's, I write a lot on, on our blog, and there's there's a, there's a big post about that. Um, but there's a number of people around the world um, who are who are doing that, um, and who have lots of tips and tricks and whatever for for harvesting yeast from flowers. Um, but that's also why the brewery is called is called Wildflower. I mean, is is, is focusing on this oh, culture. Uh, yeah, yeah, got it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't know that, Jay. <laughs> So that was the ingredient that we were able to start with. And, and the brewery actually was initially meant to be on a farm. Um, local planning controls kind of stopped us from doing that. And so we kind of dropped back 10 and punted to use, a, you know, I'm American, dropped back 10 and punt and started in the city with uh, a model that, you know, a work contracting model, very similar to how you started. And actually, you probably wouldn't remember, but before we opened, I sent you an email mm-hmm. asking about stainless steel IBCs, just plastic ones. And... You, you you very much drove me towards the stainless steel one because you can't put a forklift through a stain, stainless steel one as easily as you can a plastic one. <laughs> I think that was great, great, uh, great, great tip. But, um, can, can I just ask quickly? Do you, do you have any idea what the uh, the reasoning behind the like you you can't have a brewery on a farm that, that regulation? Any idea why? Yes. Uh, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to derail you. I just wonder. I always wonder what the reasoning is behind these things. Uh, yeah, for for the council that we were looking at, um, the zoning of that property was for primary uh, rural agricultural production. So you could it's make zo- zoning. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a zoning a zoning yeah. issue. Um, and breweries uh, have always been needed to be an industrially zoned location. Gotcha. Um, I don't have an issue with zoning. You know, go to Houston and you'll see why zoning is an important sure. thing. It's awful. There's no zoning laws there, and you can. It's it's a disaster. Houston sucks. I'm from Dallas, so you know you've, you've got to say that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, no, no, I don't have an issue with that. But but it was frustrating. For I got us you. Okay, beginning. so go yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so the yeast starting what, with what other large American cities? Do you have? <laughs> like Philadelphia there. blows, uh, man. Yeah. Um, the yeast was certainly the ingredient. Being uh, making beer at the time what was the one that was going to influence our process the most. So we started uh, with this culture. And and that was largely influenced by you know friends of mine uh, who had who were working and I had spent some time at Jester King um, working with them um, for a very small amount of time but then then becoming um, friends and, and resources for me was it was an important part of um, of building that culture and then we started with that and the intention was to always bring on all of the other ingredients to being state based at least you know, New South Wales is, is, is a large state Australia is a big geographical place and we have lots of different regions and we can grow a lot of different things but i kind of wanted to build myself a box to operate in and that way we can improve in the ways that we can right and and make our beer better um because of not because of different sourcing but maybe because eventually because of different farming and so we started off with always new south wales grown um malts and um as of next year i'm really proud to say and and eventually we, we've always worked with a independent local maltster um voyager craft malt and through um, Stu, who's doing amazing work there, he's a completely um, carbon neutral, car- carbon neutral um, maltings, whereby he uses the heat from a biochar facility, like the offset of some other facility, to do all of his maltings. So he's absolutely not um, 
drawing down on the grid um, by 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 doing his uh, malting, which is a pretty intensive energy um, operation, to be honest. Um, through Stu, we're able to find a Australian certified organic farmer, but also more importantly, a re- regenerative farmer that's building topsoil, retaining water, um, and growing. He's growing for us in a, in a heritage varietal barley. Um, and some heritage varietal uh, uh, wheat that we will, as of harvest this year, so November, December, um, after harvest, we'll use that entirely across our beers. It's been a slow process to get that going. I, c- I couldn't just buy organic malt. At the, mo- the moment, um, the only organic malt in, in Australia comes from firemen over in Germany, so it just makes no sense to buy that. We want to work with local farmers and then slowly move towards the kind of farming that we want to see. Um, we think it's more sustainable. What, th- than buying organic and having it shipped halfway across the world? Definitely, definitely. I mean, this, this like climate change is real, right? Like we, we need to we need to like uh, make our business sustainable, not just as a like you know sustainability is like you know bringing your coffee cup instead of using a disposable one, but like sustainable that we're operating in 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 a few years, um, and and moving towards farming that is more drought tolerant, moving towards farming that can happen um, even when there's no. Uh, water allocations on an irrigated area that, that that's really important for for us and i think draw driving that story back to um not, not from the marketing thing but driving the story back to heritage varietals of barley um and malt is a really really important one a lot of the malt that we see um the varietals that we see and i'm not i can't speak for the u.s market but we see in australia market have been bred for extract um ease ease of use in the brew house um, and huge, huge, huge DP, like lots of diastatic power. That way it can be exported to make rice lager in South, in South Asia. All of those things, oh, and, oh, and also um, the ability to live through herbicides that end up killing all other type of mm-hmm. um, growth in the soil, which is just awful for, for soil health and water retention. But those uh, things that, they, that genetically, genetically modified barley strands have been, have been bred for um, happen at the... Uh, at, at, at the expense of flavor, um, so we see this with Maris Otter and Golden Promise, and having this like huge resurgence. These are not these are not seeds that were modified for flavor. These are seeds that were found and replanted, and then a brand has come about that. And I love the fact that we talk about barley, at least in those cases, as a varietal, not as not as the type of malting that it is. And and this is essentially the story that like in the the process that we while boxing ourselves in in being a New South Wales beer um, as much as we can these are the things that we can improve we can't just say okay I'll go get barley from a different area right. um, I can't do that I can't I can't go buy I mean I've I've said to myself I can't go buy Marisotter even if I wanted that nutty beautiful full malt flavor that you get from that even while it might not have the best extract right instead we have to put that into the ground and grow it see how it works in our environment and then adapt the different varietals to ones that do end up doing better in our area um and this is probably where you end up seeing like that wine influence starting to come in to the brewery and it was always an, it was always an intention but now we're getting there same thing with hops so finally if i get to the hops i mentioned before that hpa which is owned by barth Haas, um, I have friends that work there, so I'm not gonna not gonna say anything negative about them. But a lot of the hops that are being sold worldwide um, from Australia are, are more IPA tropical fruit hops, and that's great. That's good business for them. I buy very little hops, so do not listen to me. I mean, I, I can't I can't be the smallest producer in the country and asking for something else. But instead, we've we've been working with a small hop farm in Bamboka, New South Wales, which is sort of a few hours south of Sydney. They're another fa- small family business started by a, a brother and sister-in-law, and they're growing hops organically on a family farm that was converted off of dairy because the dairy industry has been absolutely cut 
cut down to the legs because people expect in Australia two two dollars for two liters of milk. So that's essentially buying four bucks for four Aussie dollars for so three US dollars for a gallon of milk. Essentially, that's the going rate. Which which if you think about something like milk, which is an agricultural product, has to get to market at a quick time. Something that's that's much less shelf stable than something like beer. It's undervalued hugely at that price point. So dairy dairy industry was cut out, um, and this farmland is happens to be in a, in a geographical area that suits uh, hop hop production so they started a small hop farm and they're planting varietals that we that work well for our brewery and we've worked with them for the last three years and this next coming year will be their their third year of production so they'll actually be at a commercial um capability of being able mm-hmm. to we'll be able to source all of our hops from them and that like while it certainly puts me into a larger box and i can't make the beer that's sitting in front of us now next year um it's it's something we have to do i i, I can't not do it I, although i might like this beer great i'll make it five times before they harvest <laughs> their crop and then and then that's it you know i'm done because we're committed to this idea of things coming from at least from next year now it will be one single hop farm and it'll be one single grain farm um within within uh new south wales both of those farms being farmed organically without herbicides pesticides or glyphosate being around um and both of those farms which is a kind of a new and trendy term um coming up in the farming um world of being regenerative so beyond organic organic is just taking away these harmful pesticides um regenerative is is thinking about soil health mm-hmm. rather than the cash crop um so uh the um, movement towards hops has been a slow one as well because getting commercial hop is is t- takes a fair bit of time. But they're planting um, hops that haven't been bred um, under contract. So a lot of the hops that you would see um, now or that are kind of really sexy on labels, they're literally brands. They've been they're hops that have been crossbred or sort of developed in house by different hop farms and then marketed and sold as such. And th- this is their IP. I mean, that, that, that makes that's fine necessarily. But, but the rhizomes from that are not like they're not free, so freely sourced. You, the, our, our hop grower can't go buy galaxy rhizomes. In fact, the only way that you could go get galaxy would be for you to trespass on property, dig them out, and, and print them. I mean, that's these demons not hugely illegal. Hugely illegal. And also, that's the prerogative of of these um, hop uh, growers to be able to create their own brand. I mean, sure. it makes makes a lot of sense. So the ones that they're putting in the ground have sort of lapsed in their IP. So we're talking Cascades, Galaxies, Halitowers, a lot of things that work a lot better with our beer. And strangely enough, Saws has, has they planted for they planted a lot for us and it's been one of the hops that's done the best hmm. in their region. So that's gives me a lot of hope. But their Saws is like completely different than um, than what you get uh, from Czech Republic. Sure. In fact it has this incredible um, citrus side. So less the limey that you might get from Motueka in New Zealand and a lot more of the lemon characteristics that we see actually in our beer. So it really, really interesting. And, and I, for me, this whole process has been a way to, okay, we, we understand our process. We're, we're a very, very young brewery. I'm certainly not um, sold in 100% of our processes. But um, we, we, we like the way that we're making the beer. We like the beer, way that the beer is tasting. How, how can we improve that? One is process in the brewery, you know, literally mixing things up, how we transfer beer, all those kinds of things that makes a difference. But the biggest part is going to be by driving that back, not just where our raw materials source from, 
how are they farmed and what varietals are they actually and th- that's a, that's a way to make beer better and more expression of, of of our place surely if i can just draw like a quick uh like residential tiny small scale example of some of the concepts you're discussing you know i bought my house like seven years ago here we are in oh, california man. uh uh, but the point is, previous owners' house from the 50s, you know, along the way, all sorts of plants that are not native to this region were mm-hmm. planted. That's, mm-hmm. that's very common, right? Of course. Not only do they ob- not grow right, you know how much maintenance you have to do to make them, to force them to be where they're not supposed to be. Exactly. It doesn't even look right yeah. when they are when they are healthy. It, mm-hmm. it just doesn't quite look right. And so uh, I've been sort of slowly over the years you know, putting in more native California plants, things that you find here mm-hmm. normally, and A, you don't have to do anything. They just grow. And B, <laughs> they just look right. Yeah. So it's kind of like a small-scale example of what you're talking it's, about. It's exactly that. Exactly that same thing. And, and the fact that this is like is um, novel to us, it blows my mind. I know, right? It should be the other way around. Like yeah. the, the, the grass in our front yards is what should be novel because that is what's novel. Yeah. Well, let, and, me, let me... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, just you see like really green non-native grasses in an area that otherwise you, you knew as you're driving around is like totally dry. Right. You're like, think about the water that it takes to do that. Think about the fertilizer they're spraying on in order to do that and keeping down, you know, broadleaf uh, sort of weeds or whatever. And like, where does this idea of weeds even come from? Like, what, why? Like, that that is in some sense like sold to us like that you can't have weeds. And really a diverse pasture is what you want. You don't want monocultures well, we're on a mixed, we're in a mixed culture thing. We don't want monocultures, yeah, exactly, right? Like we can right. talk about yeah, it. Right. Um, you you yeah. do if you're King Louis and you want your your the Versailles to you know the longs exactly. to look a certain way, but yeah. somehow that trickled down. But the point is, yeah, like I'm I'm, I'm I'm with you. Like I I understand what no, you're this saying. Is it exactly. Makes total sense. We are not off topic. This is 100 percent on topic. Do not do, <laughs> derail this. Pipe down, Jay. Yeah, yeah. What is this your show or something? Well, I so I. I, I I agree with everything you guys are saying, but let me just speak. Let me be the straw man for a second. So, <laughs> you he's going to argue against points we haven't Hopefully made. Hopefully, it's native grass straw. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's monoc. Uh, so, you know, you, you guys are improving process, and uh, that's to make the beer better. And you want to work work more with um, local farms, and eventually, I think. We're, we're skipping a big middle part here, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll ask for you guys' opinion on this, where, you know, eventually we want all this stuff to be more a sense of place than it is now. But we're also skipping a lot of the growing pains. I mean, it's great that the saws is tasting good mm-hmm. or has great uh, characteristics, but that's not going to be every grain, every hop that you're trying to replace. What about the concern about the intermediate time where there are these growing pains of mm. trying to shift because things don't shift overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you talked about hops, how, you know, that takes a lot longer than a lot of the crops. And, you know, I, I agree with the movement. It's just, how do you deal with the growing pains in years, you know, zero through two or three or five, or sometimes 10? I think that question is really closely related to the question of how do you deal with drift in a mixed culture beer we we, we can't be making these beers from you know my philosophical manifesto of what we're kind of dealing with at wild culture uh, wild culture wildflower fuck um at wildflower oops here it's here in nevada we really and, yeah. in. <laughs> um and, and 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 not be committed to the raw product in the same way i can't make mixed culture beer with yeast 
from our area and then just throw out the yeast from my area because I don't like it and then just go to a yeast lab and buy, you know, Bretzois because that's going to make a character that I know mm-hmm. is going to be... I don't think that there is a, you know, a best of list, you know, like, Gemani Birico is amazing. Like, it's just the, some of the best cured meat you can have. But I could... I mean, I've never done this, but you, you could potentially, you know, farm your own pig and cure your own meat on your own land. And sure, maybe against some panel of experts who know exactly what Hermani Birico tastes like, and they're judging for Hermani Birico, your pig grown in whatever area, maybe not eating as many acorns um, as as uh, the, the pigs do in, in Spain, will taste different to that panel, and they would probably choose the one that they know to be the flavor as the better one. But why don't we turn that on our head and instead of saying that panels that are panels that are predestined to know what something would taste like, what is what does Cabernet from Napa Valley taste like? Well, the panels knows that because they've tasted thousands before that, and so they're they're judging against preconceived notions of what those beers are, or sorry, what those wines are. In the same way, we need to be open as brewers. I think to, with our customers, if, if we're if we're if we're asking them to support local, we're asking them to support independent. You know, you've got an independent seal here in, in Australia, and we as brewers need to be doing the same thing when we pass that back. And our customers, as well as us as the brewers, need to be open to the fact that that pro- might change flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always going to be the exact same. And and uh, we're open to the fact, I mean, the fact that we have a, a large cellar of barrels that we can essentially drift the flavor profile of our beer over time. Um, it's not going to be, you know, one batch to the next. It's just a completely different raw, raw barley type or, or hop type. It will take a few years for our cellar to be completely converted to these organic or regenerative um, raw materials so we can slowly blend that flavor in which whereas that might be a little bit harder for a, a, a clean brewer and i completely understand that but if we are asking that from our customer then we need to be allowing that to happen from our raw material side we, we, we can't go to a supermarket supplier of raw materials and expect our beer to taste different yeah so maybe to incorporate your answer and rephrase my question is the plan then to let's say we're just talking about your the the base malt you use. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's sourced from outside of New South Wales right now, or no? It's not, but let's yeah, say yeah, wheat, yeah, yeah. the wheat. Yeah, yeah. No, wheat. no, no. no? It's, all, it's all in time. Let's Wales. do the hops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So New Zealand and Czech Republic at the moment. So zero percent from New South Wales right now. Uh, only in one beer that we make. Every, well, we make a few, but yeah, yeah. So majority not. Let's say that's you know. That's going to develop with time, and let's say it's you, you're you're phasing it in. So, the plan is, and this is all hypothetical. Yep, obviously, yep, yep. the plan is next year. Let's do you know one third New South Wales, two thirds you know from our traditional sources. Then we're going to flip it the year after that, and then we're going to go 100 percent after that. So it's like a phased in plan. Is that what you would advise? It's in a vacuum, and it's a hypothetical. For people who want to begin to support, get to a place where you support local agriculture 100% because that's that's where we want to go. I don't know what I would advise because I haven't done it. We're, we're, we're just going to switch. 100%. Just switch Cold turkey overnight. going for it. Because there yeah. is something to be said for that too because it's about putting – like you're putting the impetus on the problem – right? not problem, the opportunity right away where yeah. it's like – if something comes out and it's not, let's say, exactly the way you wanted it, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm being a little yeah. more 
pessimistic, but there's also some realism in there. Definitely. When it comes to agriculture and, yeah. you know, turning, we talk about turning the big cruise ship. You know, you can't turn agriculture on a dime. It's like a big, slow-moving thing. But the argument for going cold turkey and doing from zero to 100 or small percentage to 100 is you're going to force the situation and, like, progress will come faster. But you're also talking about, you know, people know that this is going to happen and that's part of the local thing that you're buying into. So, I mean, we'll, we will the, – the hop farm itself won't be sending their hops for testing and we, we'll do that for all of our crops that we get from them. We'll, we'll pay for all of the – I mean, they're, they're essentially too small to, to have – the um, we're not huge, as I said. <laughs> we don't have heaps of cash, but I need to as a way to mitigate the differences, especially with bittering and how that interplays with acid. We'll send all the crops that we get from them for testing, so I'll at least know alpha acid, you know, so I can I can I can understand um, BUs. But I'm not worried about. It. In fact, I'm so fucking excited about it. Like I, I'm not. I I can't wait to go 100. Yeah. percent There's 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 absolutely not a. Um, there's not a part of me that's worried about that switch because I'm so, I, I'm I'm so determined. Well, I'm sorry, not determined, but I'm so convinced that our beer will be better because of mm-hmm. it. I mean, there, there there's there's a fair bit of research in wine um, linking uh, herbicides and pesticides in in Saccharomyces fermentation, and it does see you do you do see that these things break down, like glyphosate um, does break down in the beer. So you shouldn't you shouldn't be seeing huge amounts of trace glyphosate in. In any fermented product, even when it's using conventionally farmed fruit or, or, or grain. Um, however, what those things can't quantify is the actual interaction at a microbial level of chemicals that are uh, designed to kill and uh, active fermentation life. So they know that over time it, it does dissipate and, and die away. But what happens in the meantime, like well, during that during that interactive spot. So there's a scientific, I guess for me, like pseudo-scientific. Mm-hmm. I did study astrophysics. I'm not an astrologer, like an astronomer. I don't look at the sun, look at the stars to tell me what how my day is going to be. But at the same time, there's... <laughs> there's That's day one. You have to explain that. <laughs> they tell you how to explain yeah, that yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to everyone else. That's the difference between <laughs> astronomy and astrology. But... Uh, I'm, I, I am convinced that there will be a difference in the fermentations, and that, that's because of anecdotal evidence with, with winemakers who, who have made the switch as well. They've gone, look, our, our yeast is happier. The, 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 the wines are a better expression of the place, and, and that's, that's exactly what we're searching for in the beer. So I'm not nervous about it in the sense we'll do what we can to uh, make the variability less, but the, the beer has always been focused on expressing mm-hmm. our place. So this is just the natural step and the thing that we've been looking forward to doing for so long. I think that's excellent. And I admire your confidence, for sure, because <laughs> I'm, I'm a nervous bird. In, uh, in college, I started a rap group called Nervous by Nature. <laughs> it's been, Bevo's not listening anymore. That was really just for her. Is that real? That's a bad, no. <laughs> that would be a terrible rap group name for college. Paranoia. Hey, I was going to ask Scott to... Uh, to, to Google it and see if you could uh, <laughs> yeah, get, get some audio. Of that. <laughs> yeah, don't Google me. We're going to take a quick break. One more, one more segment. One more. Yeah, yeah this is our last segment. break. Yep. Uh, we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. back 
final segment, the guys from Wildflower flew all the way out straight here, direct to Concord, from Sydney, Australia, flying right back right after the show. And they, they made the trip on, a, like, a single-prop three-seater, you know? So they yeah, had to make, like, 25 the, stops along plane. the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> a long they, journey. They did mid-air refueling, actually. <laughs> like the president. <laughs> it took us a while to learn yeah. how to do that, but we've got it down now. Uh, they use only organic fuel in yeah. their private aircraft. I <laughs> want you guys to know. One oh, more. my God, such a... Such a yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. You Good can't thing fly to notice. The fuel is refined in New South Wales. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sure that all fly. It's got one more reminder. You're gonna let we're, it we're fly? Gonna, yeah. Pun intended. Yeah, boom. Uh, liner and photo after the show. Yes. So I have a few more questions. We popped beer and we didn't talk about it last segment, so we're gonna do that this segment. But mm. first, but first, I think we have a listener question, which is brought to you by. Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to... <laughs> do those get kept in? I don't, I don't no, know. No, I, I, I clean them up. You, you sound like a pro when I'm done with you. Three, two, one. Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource <laughs> devoted to teaching how, teaching you how to brew. This is all getting left in now. <laughs> I'm sure. And blend sour beer at home. And now the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening... Up a new brewery and tap room in central Pennsylvania. Check them out, Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. This is from Pete. Pete, we've done Pete's question on, I don't remember if we did it with your with uh, the Rare Barrel crew or, or, or what, but this is perfect for, for you guys, Wildflower. Pete was asking about cash flow and, and uh, the business model of the the brewery where dumping is a thing. I don't think we've really touched on that, especially at, at only 400-ish barrels a year, very small production. How do you guys deal with dumping beer from a business standpoint? Flip, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to pass this one to my business partner, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> I would like have, uh, to uh, have him call in um, about this. My, my phone might start ringing. Chris really, uh, Chris, my brother-in-law and business partner, he really looks after that aspect so that I can stay nitty-gritty, you know, up to, to my knees in, in the day-to-day stuff. Sure. However, I can speak that that was built into our business model, in a sense, baked in. We baked in 20% loss. And where have you been in practical... It depends on the year. A nineteen, we've been, we've had a lucky sort of. We've learned from our mistakes in different winter brewing seasons. Sometimes we have had in eighteen, we dumped around six thousand liters of beer in a single month. What's the percentage? Well, if we're only doing forty-seven thousand a year, like over ten percent in just a single month. In a, in a um, month, okay. It was a. There's been a number of times where you know you're entering, making, having a small business, wanting it to be. Uh, one of the big influences of how we make beer and the style of the brewery was the fact that both Chris and I are, are, are fathers, and, and, and Luke, who's now started working with us, is also a dad. In that we, we wanted our, our work to, to come second to the fact of, of being of being parents, right? Focus of everything should be at, at home. So there's a fair amount of um, streamlined kind of. Uh, you know, we have a modern packaging line so that we can start packaging in a day, label, bottle and finish within a day and, and try to go home around 4 p.m. Sometimes that doesn't always happen, but that, that's our goal, so we can go home and cook or put kids to bed or whatever it is. That was a huge influence of the, the style of beer that we made and the, the, the type of the brewery. At the same, at the same point, we, we had to, to bake in these kind of losses, and there's been a number of times where 
I feel like, uh, you know, mental health hasn't been at its best spot because you're having this this brewery which is meant to support your family but then the brewery might not be going well because we're dumping all this beer and because you made an error and, and in a sense that that can like drive back towards your personality and how you are at, at, at home um, so we we started with this idea with this ability to, to be able to dump beer and there's been at least two times where that hurts a lot more than I think it probably should I would like to be able just to categorically look at a beer that's not there dump it and move on um but it always you know does kind of come back this year 19 we've learned some some of those mistakes in terms of being um in terms of uh the winter time slower fermentations to start can develop enteric acid like it's enterobacter flavors which we don't see aging out in, in in our beer over any small period of time those are beers that we generally tend to dump and we've taken measures to learn from that so we're dumping less beer this year than we have in years past at the same time, um, we've also started working with uh, some distillers down the road who are friends of ours. And when we do dump beer, we can, if the ATO is listening, the Australian Taxation Office, huh. we totally sign it out of our register <laughs> as alcohol goods and move it under bond oh, to these other places. Yeah, they're yeah exactly. They're always listening. Um, <laughs> we can send now um, the beer that we, you know, quote unquote, dump, um, and it can be used uh, to make spirit from our own beer so we've oh, cool. that number of times and we've fortified a barrel of our amber up to 20 percent we're just kind of seeing what which is highly oh. we, we haven't we haven't released it yet how um, it come out uh it's really interesting um, it's like fortified yeah. beer yeah it has a lot of whiskey characteristics um but the neutral spirit shows a lot of char- character from fermentation there's mm. a there's a copenhagen based distillery called empirical spirits which if you're interested in in um, yeast derivative uh, and, and you know um, interesting uh, malt characteristic spirits I would look them up mm. they do a lot of like koji uh, fermentations early and then ferment with known Saccharomyces strains from white labs a lot of the times um, and then spirit that so you get neutral uh, unoaked spirit and it's a huge amount of character so instead of dumping barrels now we do send some to them we'll just fill up an IBC or something like that and we'll send it down to them and they'll distill it when they get time that's cool um, and then we'll we'll, we'll 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 either use that for sanitizing around the brewery, or um, eventually we'll probably try to fill a barrel. We'll get one of our barrels recoupered and recharred and sent to them, and staying at their facility and making a, 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 a oud wildflower. You know, some something. It's not a whiskey because it's hopped. Um, but we don't have the same restrictions in Australia in terms of what's a whiskey and what's not. So um, it would be some sort of neutral spirit that comes from ours. So this idea of also having no waste is sure. kind of part and parcel with, sure, with sure. how we do things. So in in the breweries run thus far, you've been below at 20 or above. It sounds like below, 15. right? Well, yeah, right below. yeah, it just like some some months were worse, but pro- I, I would I would have to sit down and actually look at it all, but probably 15, probably an, uh, on par with what we thought. Fair enough. Do you guys, um, do you guys think that uh, for somebody putting together like a sour program plan or a brewery plan that 20 is a good number to use? No. Okay, That's so a- moving <laughs> along. <laughs> um, I would go high. I would go really yeah, high. Estimate conservatively. Because 30? At I'm, least 25, oh, okay. maybe even 30. Because I mean, you're not going to know how your process is, especially in the beginning. And you're going to want to count on every drop of beer making it, making a sale. 
and, and it's selling immediately and being paid directly for that at that time. And that's a critical time too. Um, my business partner Alex likes to say, uh, "Reputation takes a lifetime to build, to build, but only a few seconds to lose." Hundred percent. And it's critical at the beginning of your business for people to be excited and be like, "Boom! Wow, this is so good, so mm-hmm. good, so good," and not just like. Yeah. Oh, that first one was good. This one is awful. And then it's like, yeah, this next one was good, but that second one was awful. And like, okay, this one's good, but that spent $30 on that second one. It's just like it never leaves someone's mind. Well, and even to put a finer point on it, I don't even know that it needs to be that pronounced. Like this f- fantastic and awful. Sometimes like, wow, this first one was really good. And the second one's like, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't fine. have to yeah. be awful. We, we 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 haven't like we haven't because we've been building our cellar like we we have we've been able to grow with our barrels now we're capped in the space that we have in that time since we've started we haven't dumped any beer that hasn't been flawed just not good like there's, there's never been a barrel we've gone yeah you know what it's just not fitting the profile of gold good as gold or any of the fruit beers let's distill it that's never happened but that will happen sure as now we're we're, we're full um what's happening in the meantime is like that's not going in a great way we'll save the barrel not the beer out it goes that being said i think the, well that discussion was a big part of our, our, our first release of beer we, we blended like a you know, golden amber some pretty conservative blends things that i thought had shared camera shared characteristics of things that I'd seen in the past, and 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 I, I to this day I, I stand by those blends. I think they're really solid blends. Those first ones that we made, we didn't release the second blend of gold. Um, and I remember sitting with Chris, uh, we were down in Melbourne for a brew conference or something like that. This is before we'd opened our tap room, and I couldn't tell him over the phone. I had to tell him in person. We were there together, and I said, "Gold blend two is just not there." Like, not only is it not good, like we can't release it. Like it, it's it's. I don't like the flavor it is, and people have already assumed something from the quality of our beer, so um, I, I, I can't sell it. And, and it was a real, like, I mean, I haven't talked about this, Chris, but probably a bit of a test in, in our relationship as a brewery of me being like, look, if, if he's, he's got his money on the purse string, he's got his hands on the purse strings, if he says we absolutely have to release it or we're going bankrupt, then I, I probably would have followed suit. I mean, like that, that, that's an equally business decision as as what it is. I mean, you you, you can't make better beer if you're not in business, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he uh, he then looked at me and said, "Well, well, let's not release it, and and you can you know we'll put it back to barrel." Oh, you know, he's like, "Do what you need to do with it," but sure, we just won't release it. And and so that happened, but it was a huge weight off my chest, mm-hmm. knowing that one, like my brother-in-law had my back. Two, that didn't put a huge amount of stress on, on the on the business or the, the the family business that it was at that time or this still is now um but that we were on the same page in terms of the business is focused on quality in the same sense of like the reputation that second blend if, if it if it wasn't to the quality that you know we we've we've come to i hope expect from from our beers that we probably wouldn't be in the position that we are which is um none of us are like driving jaguars or land rovers <laughs> like we're, right. we're, we're we're not super wealthy but we're, we're in business and i'm mm-hmm. hugely proud to mm-hmm. to be in business two and a half years later amen you're most likely batches to go wrong are the first ones so and the, and they're coincidentally or not coincidentally they happen to be the ones you count on the most like the first one you need that to come out especially mm-hmm. if you're doing this style of beer exclusively i mean you brew your first batch you wait for a while for yeah. it to come out it's been only money going out going yeah, out for a going long, out long time mm-hmm. and yeah then you you have the crucible of like you know staring down your business partners whether they be you know related to you or in-laws or whatever it might be 
you know, hey, <laughs> I know you trusted me with all this, but trust Boy, me, this is yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm going to work Shit. hard to make sure it doesn't happen again or it happens as little as possible, but we can't do this or we're done. Mm. And it's a tough moment, but that happens to a lot of people. Except, sadly, a lot of people just go through with it. So that's tough stuff. Yeah, maybe they find themselves with their backs against the wall. And they're, mm-hmm. like you're saying, they, mm-hmm. they want to make better beer, but they have to be in business first. Which is something I'm like, I, as a, now as some being in business and operating, and, and, and I probably wouldn't have had that same outlook if I can just sitting from the sidelines shooting pot shots from there. And, and now when I do see things like that, I'll pick up the phone. Just how are you? How are you going? Not call, not not ask exactly. Oh, this beer was faulty, but like, are you, is everything okay? Like, how things at home, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because I might know that person and know that that's not the quality they tend to release, and then you have some sort of insight as to why why that might be. And maybe it's not because they don't see it. Maybe maybe they do, and they're not super stoked with it, but they have to have it. And, and I have a lot more empathy for that now. Maybe if anyone's listening, maybe just be easy on untap seriously it actually it, no, i'm like <laughs> yeah. i'm dead yeah. set like it's, it's such a cool brewer thing to be like i totally don't check that and like i never watch <laughs> i never i never look any of that any of blah, blah, blah. that that's bollocks like it's liars yeah i mean you, you do and especially when you're making these types of beers and they're real representations of yourself and, and your ethos and who you are and sadly sometimes we wrap our personalities up in in our jobs and that's a real that's a real um, dangerous road to, to go down because if you lose your job then sometimes you can lose your personality if if you're wrapped up in that way but um if you're making these types of beers and they do mean so much to you then then mean things on the internet can really like it really gets to you well not only does it get to you it takes one mean thing to undo 20 good things hundreds mm-hmm. Hundred, yeah. or yeah more yep 100 yeah. percent. well speaking of beer that wasn't dumped let's uh, <laughs> let's get to this for the final couple minutes here i want to talk about too easy too easy yeah too easy is another australian saying you know jargon luke how would you say how that? would you pronounce it in yeah. your best oka mm-hmm. yeah too easy oh, come on that wasn't that good <laughs> that was too easy dude come on give me a huge hackman like too easy, mate. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Really yeah, <laughs> it's actually hard serving this beer at the brewery because people people look it up. They're like, "Oh yeah, um, I'll have it too easy," and it's just so hard not to respond with too easy. Too easy. <laughs> like, it's so hard to go. Sure, no worries. You know, you, you could just switch to the other uh, great saying. Um, no worries. No worries. Yeah, actually. So too easy. Too easy is a is a beer and kind of a series of beers that we've been working on. Um, that are focused on sort of highlighting the primary characteristics of our house culture. So we hop these beers higher, and Too Easy itself is is one that's hopped with sort of new world hops, and and we barrel ferment them um, to be sort of uh, mixed culture. We call them mixed culture barrel for mixed culture barrel fermented saisons, um, for lack of a better term. But that's pretty long. These beers we package in green bottle. They naturally carbonate and condition as they would the rest of them. Um, but we're able to serve them a lot fresher. And and these beers came for us out of a desire to be able to put our beer on draft a bit more and make something that's a bit more um, uh, price capable for a lot of our friends that, that, that own you know bars and, and restaurants um, across the country in, in Australia. Now, now is the draft – because I noticed that you've, you've mentioned the green bottle and yep. even on the label, hashtag green bottle, yeah, you've made yeah, it. It's, 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 a, it's a thing. Like, yeah, yeah. So the draft version is different then, I'm assuming, because the green bottle is, is lending characteristics per well, the – green right it's this i mean it's the same beer it just gets split off differently between between keg or a bottle sure yeah Even i mean I think if, right? if you uh no because our, our beer conditions in box so we'll bottle put it inside a box and put it 
on a palette, and then it, it, it conditions there, so it's dark the whole time. Okay, so why why are we making a thing about the green bottle? Uh, well, I mean, they're anyone, cool. They're no, cool. No, 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 but I'm wondering. Have a look at it. Says on Beauty Guard Farmhouse Sale Appreciation Society. If anyone's um, on Facebook, uh, um, okay. and and like I, for us, it's a real delineator of like, okay, brown bottle barrels, green bottle. Those are the younger beers. Those are the quote unquote. I mean, mixed culture saison. I mean, saison such a bastardized term, and, and I I don't. It's a hard one to use because people associate with a lot of different things. Um, for me, uh, the, the green bottle is is a is a really clear um, decision for us. This is not meant to be barrel aged, funky. Gotcha, this gotcha. is while those things, not the barrel aged part, but the funky and acid develop. Those are secondary characteristics of the fact that we're trying to make really drinkable beer. So that concept of saison, let's say that, like that, coming from that place, but only having our yeast to ferment with. Does that make sense? Sure. Yep. These beers, the too easy. This idea of being able to have some more draft options because our, because we're not very big and you know um, our beer we, we we could sell it in bottle and so the, the kegs kind of have to maintain that same price per liter and, and that that can be difficult on 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 draft. So we um, made these beers kind of out of that purpose and also to be ones that we can really enjoy at the cellar door. We, we do have a strange restriction. While we can make wine and cider at the brewery, we, our license only allows for us to sell products that we make on site. Um, we can't have any like guest taps or anything like that. And this beer, these flavors have been ones that we've found. You know, if, if someone does come to us uh, and they're they're looking for a pale ale or an IPA, we, we we kindly say to them that that's not what we do, and we explain our process and, and mention a few breweries in the local area that that do those really well. Listen, dumbass. <laughs> Go head over to Sydney Brewing, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're an awful brewery, actually, not them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually think there is one. Um, but um, at the same time, we, we said, well, we, you know, we, we, we can offer a beer like this, which is 100% in line with what we do, um, and, but shares flavor characters of more ale fermentations. Whereas when we get people to come in so that they don't drink, I don't drink beer, then the amber or gold they end up drinking. You know, it's, it's, it's not a sense of having like a dumbed down option um, for those that don't drink beer. It's not at all that. In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny middle option. So we like having them on draft of the brewery. The two easy beers um, are ones that we hop essentially like a, uh, like a, like a hazy IPA. We use you know, all of our uh, New South Wales grown grain, and then we use a large charge of uh, some sort of hop. With this one that we're having now is with Galaxy, so an Australian hop from Bushy Park. The exact hop that I'm talking about in terms of being super tropical, what kind of HPA at the moment Hops Products Australia is really driven to, to producing a lot of. Use a lot of it in the Whirlpool. And then we also pitch, while we pitch um, the yeast, we give uh, each barrel, um, and we ferment these in three 500-liter punch ends, we give each barrel uh, a portion of pellet hops at pitching. Um, so at the same time as the yeast is going in, so it hops into cooled wort uh, in barrel. And then we'll also do a small um, mid-fermentation uh, dry hop with that, um, so sort of day two or, th- or three of the fermentation. And then once the beer is aged, these fermentations generally around four weeks in, in oak, um, and then we'll, we'll rack out of oak um, into uh, some sort of blending vessel um, and then do a final dry hop before packaging um, a few days. These are non-temperature controlled vessels, so I can't, like it's just ambient, a few day um, dry hop, uh, and then we go to package with the dextrose and then these beers generally condition for about two months um, before we release them excellent i think it's great great description also that it's kind of 
subbing in there for you know the pale ale ipa it's of course totally different beer mm. but for someone who's looking for some of those flavors but want your spin on it i think that's that's excellent I think, are we running out of time? We are, unfortunately. I would love to keep going. I'd go all day with these guys. Can I do a lightning round of the last question? No. No? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Uh, quick answer, uh, one word or less. Biggest mistake. Or less. Sa- <laughs> <laughs> Biggest mistake in sour beer making. Luke, first. You can edit out the pause? No. no I'm leaving. <laughs> this one is getting left in. I mean, temperature of the fermentation. Well, the unhappy yeast culture. <laughs> good, good. That's three, that's three words. <laughs> Topher. I, 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 I would say definitely um, letting beer go too long. The, the beer can get tired, um, too oaky, too sour, and that's something that I... We, we, we really try our best not to do. It still happens. Um, but uh, understanding that each, each mixed culture beer, depending on the, the mixture of yeast or, or or the age of the barrel or the age of um, the beer in that barrel, has its own window. And, and, and for us, that's never been stable. We've never seen this ideal time for beer to be in barrel. Sometimes it's ready far, far younger than we think it is. And... Um, Keeping an eye on that, I think, is is, is, is the key um, for us, at least. And that's that's what I see. Good. One we're we're going to edit that down to one more. <laughs> yeah, it'll be concise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was great fun. Thank great you. information, great beers. Really appreciate it. Fun hanging with you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Love you. You make the Sour Hour go. As well as Scott. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. And Bevo. Thanks, Bevo. She's who's waving and thumbs upping. Thank you again to the listeners. You guys can join in on the Stay Sour if you want. (laughs) Until next time, stay sour. Or not. I need a better footrest.